Hello, hello. You are listening to the Always Be Watching podcast, a podcast with me, Chris Yates, and my good friend, Dan Barrett, and we discuss the things that we've been watching on television. Yo, yo, yo. Word up, Chris. <laughs> hey, uh, it's good to see you again, Dan. Look, pleasure is all mine, sir. Um, just for a bit more context, well, we've known each other for about 15 years. The main thing we like to talk about is watching the television. Main thing? Only thing. <laughs> the only thing we've ever talked about with each other. Uh, and so, uh, after a few um, long blacks one day, we decided to... Uh, do it as a podcast and here it is yeah sorry I started with a yo 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 and I kind of feel I need to keep that going so <laughs> no, a whizzle no. wazza please do I'm going to get right into it this week and I'm going to I want to I want to mix it up a little bit this week Dan don't, don't go too crazy but instead of alternating with, with a format change instead of alternating with our programs I have two that are somewhat related in a very distinct way so I would like to discuss them back to back if possible okay uh, how do you feel about this look it seems a bit like mixing peanut butter and chocolate and I'm good with that excellent alright so we'll start by me saying, Dan, what have you been watching? Sir, I've been watching a show called Another Life. We interrupt this broadcast for an emergency alert. The Department of Defense is confirming reports of an unknown object entering Earth's atmosphere. An alien artifact landed on Earth. We need to know why. And they want me to lead the mission. Chris, Another Life, this is a new Foxhole drama series. Once again, you've stumped me. As we record this, it's a few days away from launch, but by the time people are listening to this podcast, people have watched the show, been disappointed by it, and moved on. (laughs) Good review. So, Another Life, giving you the logline on it, it follows the story of an astronaut and a space crew who are on a mission to investigate the origins of an alien artifact that mysteriously appeared on Earth. As the crew attempt to search for alien intelligence, they face inexplicable horrors that may signal the end of their mission. This is a sci-fi drama that brings Katie Sackhoff back to sci-fi TV. She was the star of Battlestar Galactica from 2004, I want to say. Uh, look, beloved TV actress, uh, people loved her as Starbuck. You know, she's actually an iconic, you know, premium TV star. So it's actually, it's a pretty big deal that she's back on TV. So she's the lead of the series. Selma Blair is on the show as well. Uh, and this guy whose name I've read a whole bunch of times, but I've never tried saying it out loud. Uh, it's Tyler Hochlin. Oh, good He's the guy that played Superman in the Supergirl TV show. Oh, right. And also Justin Chatwin, who's a guy whose name always looks familiar to me. And anytime he's on screen, it's like, I know that guy. And then I have to look him up and it's like, oh, that's who Jason, Justin Chatwin is. And then I never remember. Nah, fair enough. But anyway, he's a guy. Now, sci-fi TV as a genre, it's filled with lots of super generic TV sci-fi shows. And fans of the genre flock to these shows and love them. And it's inexplicable. Like, you'd be there watching it and it's like, <laughs> why does this have such a strong fan base? And you can never really quite work it out exactly. And what I think it is, is that sci-fi as a genre, it demands a sense of imagination. And it works often with things about, like, it's metaphorical, it's very allegorical. And while the sort of people who are into sci-fi aren't necessarily the dreamers of the world, sometimes they are, but that's not always necessarily the case. I think they're the sort of people that actually connect to the sense of escape that the genre, the genre offers, and whether that's the escape offered by whatever that metaphor is, or whether it's something else, but I think they're looking for a departure from our world, but one that still has a sense of order to it, because hmm. sci-fi shows, it's very much about the world building that creates these worlds, hmm. and even the worst shows still have like a strong element of we've built a world around it. So there's an escapist element to this that I think is what drives people into it. 
I'm trying to think um, broadly. Are you talking about the sort of uh, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek? Well, I wasn't quite thinking Deep Space Nine. I was the show that really came to mind when I was watching this was through the '90s, particularly. There was a whole bunch of really just generic, terrible sci-fi shows. Like that one they made on the Gold Coast. Uh, You're talking about Time Trucks? Yes. Yes. Oh. Is that the yeah, kind sure. of thing? Is that, I mean, that's, or is that that's too exactly cheesy? It's, no, no, like, I'm talking about cheesy things. Yeah, like, yeah, things right. that production quality is not necessarily amazing, yeah. but things that still have a lot of following. The show that came to mind for me was Earth 2. Oh, yes. If you I remember, remember that show. Yes, I do. It didn't run for very long. I think maybe like 10 episodes before it got cancelled. Really? Maybe a full season. I'm not sure. It didn't last very long. Mm. And that's what came to mind to me. And this is very much one of those programs. It's filmed in Canada, so like the budget is definitely a little bit sort of lesser. Although it's still a pretty good looking show, you can tell that it's definitely, you know, it's a restricted show in terms of the actual um, depth of the actual production. Now, midway through the first episode, there's a plot twist that takes place. And when that happened, I suddenly just like leapt to attention with the show and I was like, you know what, this actually isn't the generic sci-fi drama it is. It's actually doing something really unique and interesting. Mm. Ten minutes later, though, they wound that back. <laughs> and afterwards, I was like, oh, what are you doing? Like, it was such an interesting sort of shift for the program. And the show is absolutely the program that I thought it was. Now, I'm not all that high on the show, okay? But I do plan to maybe watch a few more episodes and see if, like, it just sort of grabs me a bit more. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I know that there's an audience for this show. I don't think it's yeah. me. But there will be an audience that actually look at the world that's been created here and like the stars and really want to look into it. And like that will be the audience for the show. And I will talk about this for years to come. But yeah. yeah, unless you are one of the people that latch into it, like, you know, maybe just check out that first episode and keep it, moving. It's funny. Like I looked up Earth 2 as soon as you mentioned it and you get all of these shows come up. So you get um, like, Stargate. Stargate, uh, like SG. Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict. Y- yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. And then Earth Final Conflict. Farscape, um, Millennium. Uh, yes, it's there's uh, quite a few in there. That, you know, are, are obviously very... Uh, and popular enough to last a few years. Most of these get a three or four year run at least, despite how uh, cornball they might be. Yeah. Although Millennium, I'll stand for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I... Well, and that, there was, that was a actually of, a serial killer drama that had some end-of-the-world religious stuff. Right, as far as it, it, the actual... But it starred... Um, Lance Henriksen. Bishop, right? Yeah. Uh, and the lone gunman was in there too, which I was going to mention, but I didn't want to feel the wrath of um, <laughs> Dan for saying that the lone gunman was uh, anything other than one of the greatest uh, things of all time. Well, obviously it was. No, uh, that show was ridiculous at first. <laughs> but by the end of the nine episodes, whatever they made of it, uh, like you'll be in love with it. I've heard it all before, Dan. Excellent. Um, so, see what you don't understand, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's a predicted September 11th. Of course, I know. I've heard about it, Dan. I've heard about it from you. We've been friends for a long time. So, Another Life is on Netflix now, and you can watch that globally. Excellent. All right. The first but thing Chris, I was- you've been watching stuff, right? I've been watching stuff. The first thing I want to mention is a uh, recently, it's just become available on the uh, Netflix in Australia, and it's a fantastic documentary from 1990 called Paris is Burning. <laughs> Gay people, men gather together under one roof and decide to have a competition amongst themselves. Balls. I went to a ball, I got a trophy, and now everybody wants to know me. Okay, Chris, hit me. What is this? Okay, Paris is Burning is a documentary about the um, New York Harlem gay trans ball culture that came out of Harlem as a way for the um, very marginalised communities to uh, express themselves and to 
party and to be to, to become a community. The documentary itself is fantastic from a documentary st- uh, point of view. It's a um, I, I should say for a bit more context, you might know RuPaul's Drag Race. So the um, the whole sort of concept of RuPaul's Drag Race was born out of this very organic, very lo-fi, do-it-yourself um, ballroom culture that they had going there. Um, down to the sort of I was I was actually quite shocked when I saw it just how much of the uh, you know it, it's not like RuPaul has uh, made any secret about where the whole concept for the show comes from but I just I actually had no idea yeah I just wasn't aware of that part of the whole culture anyway it's just fantastic so the documentary itself was quite controversial at the time um it uh, was made by a, a white woman called Jenny Livingstone who scrounged $500,000 together to make this thing and um, it turned into a, a, a minor hit for her and made a few, uh, like, four or five million dollars, um, which was all her money because she uh, um, was the independent backer behind the whole thing. So, um, obviously, uh, it, it became quite controversial because she sort of brought these uh, stories to life, but the people that were the subjects of the documentary, which was um, you know screened around the world at that point uh, remained in poverty with extra assault on that wound being that um, one of the big movements from this scene was the dance style of voguing which of course was then um, a uh, appropriated I think is not too fine a word to say by Madonna and became a massive uh, thing for her and she also made a few million dollars out of it good for her good for her too but anyway this is a we've been talking about these kind of documentaries lately this is not a documentary with talking heads in in any other way other than sort of where they're um, actually involved in the scenes um lots of uh preparation for the balls and that kind of stuff is interviews with the um with the uh the people in the doco but they're done in a very natural and organic way so it doesn't feel like you know it's it's, it's as part of the thing is going on um the footage looks incredible it's you know, obviously an incredibly vibrant amazing time to be in new york city in the uh mid to late 80s and um yes it's just an incredible documentary to see it'll open your eyes to that whole whole community and to to of course the challenges and the suffering and the you know that we're talking about we're talking about the height of aids you know um the height of AIDS, basically, in America, mm. we're talking about uh, the you know the communities being wiped out, communities that have already been uh, you know up against it, like kids that have been kicked out of their home by their parents for being gay or for being for being trans. So it's just a, um, a very emotional ride through the the kind of lives of these people, just for a very brief period, but also the importance of this thing. It brings up all those same kind of you know like like. What was what was going on in New York at this time? You know the, the clash of cultures, the, all these things that made these pop cultural movements happen that are still reverberating today in a really big way. It's fascinating. Now, is it primarily about drag, or is it really looking at a lot of the subcultures sort of existing around that? Well, it's it's pretty much just like it's it's pretty close to just being about the balls themselves. So they're not okay. they're not totally drag, but they are. Um, you know, that's obviously the biggest element of it. And it's but it's really examines the kind of you know idea that you know, these are people that are getting uh, you know they're the, they're the kind of like. They're, they're being they're, they're they're so up against it, you know, like they're they're uh, not welcome anywhere. You know, this is like in the eighties, and they're still being like thrown out of bars, and they're being beat up, and there it's it's a horrible, horrible time for these for these folks. Um, you know, a lot of stuff like that, of course, still happening today. But seeing uh, the way that it's kind of the way that they use these balls and this sort of celebration as a as a means to overcome that is just 
incredible. Now, this is on Netflix? Yes, this is on Netflix. So, uh, and to be honest, like it is so contemporary in the way it's shot. There's certain things in it. There's a twist that happens at some point where if it was a modern documentary, the way they do things now, I, I imagine they would have re- reshot the whole documentary around this this twist. But it's refreshing that it doesn't happen that way. Um, but I was actually surprised that, uh, for you know, like it's skipped my radar um, somehow, uh, which a lot of, like a lot of stuff. Not that I'm across everything, but uh, you know, things that I'm interested in there. So it was interesting that. But also the fact that uh, you know, it took me a good sort of fifteen twenty minutes watching it, where I was like, actually, you know, I, where I was like, oh, I don't think this is actually a new thing. Like I thought it was something that had been made really recently. To celebrate it, because of course it looks—it's been re—it's um, been treated and looks beautiful. Yeah, so I was thinking something I've been watching on Netflix recently is Tales of the City, which was oh, the yes. series about like the gay culture existing in San Francisco from yes. the I think it's late sixties, early seventies onwards. This is uh, on this my list like, of things to watch. This thing, uh, so uh, they've got the new Tales from the City series, which they just produced for Netflix. Yeah. But the original series that went to air originally in, I want to say about like 93, 94. Yeah. Uh, so that just made its way onto the service as well. Awesome. And I think it'd be an interesting counterpoint to this where, because that's set in San Francisco, there's a lot more acceptance. So, I mean, there's obviously challenges that the characters go through. Yeah. And that's a fictionalized story yeah. based on the Armistead Nolpin books. But ultimately, I think it'd be interesting seeing like the cultural differences between what was really happening in New York at the time versus the very open accepting culture from San Fran. Totally, and like Harlem itself at the time is incredible. You know, like the 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 destroy they're pulling the city down. It's like you know this is like the sort of the grimiest, the crime most crime ridden period of New York's history, um, at least in recent times. Uh, And so you know to have that backdrop with all this going on. It's just amazing. Yeah. So, Chris, I understand you saw something else. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you set it up that way because I uh, was was angling toward there. So, the other program, I've been watching the TV series, which is called, in all caps, Pose. How are you going to put this shit on? Royalty. The category is... Bring it like royalty. Yeah, you own everything. Everything is yours. You own your jewels. You own your country. You own your name. Chris, I believe this is the Emmy Award TV series pose. The Emmy Award winning, is that right? Have you seen any pose, Dan? Actually, I don't know if it won. It's definitely been nominated for the upcoming Emmy Awards. Uh, look, no, I haven't seen pose yet. Uh, I'm going to get to it at some point. I think I just got annoyed that everyone was telling me I needed to watch it, and then I just haven't. Right, yeah, see, I just... I, I only came Which to Pose. Ironic for the very premise of this here podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just because you like to do it doesn't mean you like it when other people do it to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Pose is uh, the series. It's basically a... I would call it... The style is a sophisticated... Um, it's a sophisticated soap opera, really. Like, it's dramatic. Um, it's relationship-based. I say soap opera without being uh, derogatory, of course. That's fine. Soap's fine. And... Um, plays into the relationships but basically it's set at the exact same period as um paris is burning and it's in that in in that exact environment so i don't think this show could have actually existed without this documentary so you get this interesting thing happen where it's problematic that a white woman made this documentary that basically uh you know is is exploiting um is the 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 controversial aspect of it i guess is that it's exploiting the culture that it's representing but without that um documentation without that exploitation we wouldn't really be able to 
for one, experience those stories as they actually happen now, and maybe that's fine. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be able to. But uh, it also wouldn't have um, led to. You know, we we also get to sort of experience these stories based on that time, which are fictionalized, but also uh, are, are at least aesthetically so close to the original source material because we had such incredible footage of it, if that makes sense. Now, can I ask a question? Just uh, kind of going back to the last documentary, which yeah, sure. sort of leads into this a little bit. Now, I don't know the documentary really at all, and I obviously don't know the uh, controversy that surrounds it. But when you talk about her going into the community and filming it, is she really doing it from an exploitative point of view, or is she really doing it as someone of whom doesn't come from that community but would just like to learn about it and have the people tell their stories? Because this. Obviously, a very fine line with this kind yeah, of totally. thing. Yeah, totally. And I think if, if it seems like you are going in there exploiting people, but if you're just if the viewpoint coming from the camera is of someone of whom just kind of wants to learn about what's going on in there and allow them to tell their stories, like, I think I think I it is. That's okay, maybe. Yeah, like it's, I mean, like maybe our face. I haven't seen it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I don't even is it even possible to judge that based on how it was? I mean, it definitely looks. It's definitely not presented in an exploitative way. Mm. Um, she's described uh, in the you know material about her as a queer woman that was. Um, at least peripherally involved in the scene. Uh, so I think, you know, I think, yeah, sure, there's probably, um, um, well, you know, there's obviously no right or wrong with any oh, of this sorry. stuff, but no, it's just interesting that um, I don't think it was deliberate. It's not like an outsider that deliberately came in, I don't think. Yeah. No, I think it was somebody who was at least involved a little. And when you sort of talk about there being controversy around that, is that necessarily like real controversy around it or is it really maybe some people of whom just had some opinions about it? Maybe, but it was... Maybe those opinions just maybe reverberate a bit more heavily now than they did back in the day. Maybe, but I think it was pretty I think it was pretty obvious pretty early on that it, there was, you know, it's, it, was, it was a pretty unfair distribution of the wealth that was created from this project. Gotcha. And I think that yeah. was pretty apparent right at the time. And I think, you know, like I say, exasperated by Madonna then coming in and, yeah, I mean, you that, know, taking... Well, that you doesn't know. help things. And and, and yeah. interestingly, like, Madonna was part of that scene to a degree as well. Like, she was actually in the... You know, she was spending a lot of time in those clubs and that kind of thing as, you know, earlier on in her career. So, she was probably around it at the time, but it's still, it's still kind of a bit... Uh, it still took it to another level, let's say. And then there's that amazing documentary about the dances that madonna did take on tour and that um have you seen that i was gonna write that no, down haven't. in case i got there and then like how their lives didn't all turn out exactly great after the um after the whole uh, madonna tour happened but anyway um there's just a few things i want to point out about the show uh one of the main uh, things that it's gotten a lot of press for is because i think it's got the largest um sort of trans cast that's ever been assembled for a television show at least um obviously that's not a there's not hasn't been a whole lot of them, but there has been a few in the recent years. The performances are just beyond good. Like there's um the actual uh one of the main mothers of one of the houses uh is um her uh, her name is Dominique Jackson, and it is like an absolutely striking, just incredible performance where it's hilarious but um heartbreaking and this incredible unique delivery of the lines and the story and it's it's sort of. It, it almost feels that it's, you know, the, the, the kind of, like, trickle her personality out. I'm about halfway through the first season, so that's to, just to give you some context there. But the um, it's, like, laugh out loud, amazingly dry, incredible stuff that I've never seen. Like, it's, it's, it's beyond sort of a character that it's, – it's almost like a new character. So things like that are just so incredible about it. And then it's still – the, the other um, sort of crazy aspect of it is that it's all juxtaposed against – 
um, the Wall Street kind of New York. Uh, you know, um, basically Donald Trump is a character in the show um, who doesn't ever appear, but there's um, several uh, white men who are going up the corporate Trump ladder that are also, um, you know, that are visiting these, uh, that, that are visiting the clubs or more, you know, or having relationships on the side um, with with some of the trans um women involved so it's just absolutely really a, an, an interesting you know sort of way to just juxtapose that um james vanderbeek is one of those um particular trump uh wannabes and that's not uh too much of a stretch i think you can imagine how awesome dawson would be in that situation and he's very good <laughs> and yeah so it's kind of like it's just crazy to have that element of it happening right now with what else is going on and to kind of get this historical context of of this rampant consumerism and this rampant sort of quest for uh, wealth and power alongside this absolute uh, poverty and searching for identity and how those two worlds mix. So I'm just, I was blown away. It was one of those things that my partner started watching and I was watching on the couch sort of, you know, double screening. And then within 10 minutes, I was just absolutely hooked and have been for the whole thing. So highly recommended. That's Pose. You will probably know more than I would about where it actually comes from. Uh, so I believe it's a FX show in the US. Yes, and FX. And you can find right. it here in Australia on Foxtel. That's right. Yes. Very good. Dan, um, that's my two shows. I think I got it in on a decent time break there. Okay. I'm going to wind this out with a show that I stumbled across in the very late hours of last night. Uh, it's a show called This Week at the Comedy Cellar. Now, Chris, before I stumbled across this program that airs here on Australia on Foxtel, but it's a Comedy Central program, I had no idea the show existed. I've never heard of it. Never heard of it at all. What this is, it's a weekly edited compile of comedians doing sets at the Comedy Cellar in New York, being one of New York's sort of premier comedy clubs. It's pr- pretty much the biggest one. It's got the biggest cultural influence. Mm-hmm. If you've watched shows like Crashing, if you've watched um, Bumping Mics and a whole bunch of other comedy shows that you may have seen on Netflix in the last couple of months, uh, like... People are very familiar with the Comedy Cellar stage and the layout of the place now. Uh, so this is a show, it's, it's a weekly edited compile, and it's all these comedians from throughout the week doing topical jokes. So essentially what you've got is, it's just like 30 seconds sort of grab of topical joke, another comedian doing a topical joke. Mm. And then they sort of intercut this a little bit to break it up somewhat, with scenes of comedians in the restaurant upstairs just having very casual conversations with a fly-on-the-wall camera nearby. And they're all just trying to riff off each other and tell jokes and have some sort of greater insight into the world of comedy. And then it just goes back to the stage and you see more comedians doing topical humour. So it's very much news of the week type stuff. Sure. Uh, so essentially, if you want to watch the stand-up equivalent of comedians doing a monologue for a late-night chat show, okay, like that's all this show really is. Now, I actually find half of an hour it felt look a little bit like a slog. And part of the reason, I think, is that when you watch a comedian get up on stage, and if you don't know that comedian at all, it takes a few minutes usually mm. to sort of fall into the rhythms. And they might be funny, but like you're not really quite sort of latched into exactly their viewpoints. But then after a while, like you sort of connect with them. And even if it's a short, like say, five or ten-minute set... Like, you still need just that little bit of time in. And by the time you're, like, maybe a third of the way through the set, like, you're with them, you really... Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But this show is really dependent on you just being able to absorb joke after joke. (laughs) And part of the reason why this sort of humour works well for if you're watching, say, The Late Show with Colbert or uh, you're watching The Late Late Show with Seth Meyers, you're watching something like that and it's the exact same types of jokes. And I didn't really do that much reading as to who some of the stand-ups were, but I guarantee some of the stand-ups are probably late-night comedy writers. Yeah. Because a lot of the people who work on those shows are also stand-up comedians. Sure, of course. around the place. So I'm sure there's some crossover there. 
The, like, the jokes that don't get used <laughs> I mean, by probably, Jimmy Kimmel. There's certainly going to be hard of that. But essentially, what you find with those sort of shows is that I go there every night and I'll know Colbert and I'll know his comedy rhythms. Yeah, that's and right. so there's a sense of that gap that takes place between you as viewer and the presenter, the comedian. And so you're kind of already with them on that journey and you know their point of view because the jokes have been tailored for that performer. Absolutely, yeah. So this show kind of feels a bit like a mishmash and it's, it's enjoyable to watch. But yeah, it doesn't quite feel right. Like there's a sense of uh, lack of authenticity that you never quite buy into on the program, especially these bits, which is like a fly on the wall where that's talking upstairs, which feel incredibly fake. Right. Okay. But yeah, so it might be a stylistic thing where this is episode one that I watched of season two and they'll probably get a few, you know, maybe another season or two because this can't be expensive to produce. No, it's, it's interesting, though, like the, the points you raise there are just so obvious and so clear straight away that uh, how did it even get made? Uh, well, I mean, I totally get why it got made, which yeah. is that they thought it was a smart idea to do topical humor through this. And it doesn't entirely work. But if you're just sitting on the couch and it came on, it's very watchable. Is it political? Well, I mean, it's all political because it's all the like news of the week. So it's a lot of Trump stuff because uh, of the week. Is that, it left leaning? Uh, I mean, it's. It's left-leaning in the way that I think most stand-ups generally tend to have yeah. a bit of a left-leaning sort of persuasion. Uh, it's lots of just anti-Trump stuff. Yeah, sure. Of, that's yeah. kind of that's what so, you're doing at the moment, isn't it? Because, and this will sound a bit dated in a week's time when this podcast gets published, <laughs> but like this week, all the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, like there are a lot of jokes about Epstein. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, is it weekly, did you say? It's weekly. Um, by the time this episode is published, this podcast, episode two will have of the show. Yeah, sure. And does it go for a lot? Is uh, it- season two, episode two. Yeah. Is it yeah. a long season or is it? I'm not sure. I think maybe it's like eight or ten episodes for the season. Mm. It's not like it's a long run thing. I think it's a worthwhile experiment and it's interesting that they've done this. Do you think it will be, um, will people be able to watch this season two in a year's time and still get something out of it? Or is it going to so, date it's really, really quickly? Made for that yeah, like sure. it is made, it's in the same way that a late night show is generally sure. made to be watched like that day and it's a disposable bit of TV. Yeah. And it's good. I think maybe if I was to sit down and try to play with it, try to find a way to make it work, I'd maybe try to give it an hour. Yeah. And see if you can get the comedians to give more than just like a 30 second like burst of mm. their set. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like, I, It's an interesting show and I'm really glad that I watched it and that they've made this. But yeah. So how many comedians are we fit. getting through in half an hour? Like a lot. Like, I reckon I probably saw like maybe about like 10 or 12. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like some of them will come back on stage. Like there was a couple where you saw like three or four sort of gags from them. Was there anyone of note? And like the comedians who are on stage as well will also appear in like the booth upstairs in a restaurant and you know, yeah, sure. back and forth going on. So you're sort of, it's like a narrative with this sort of same batch of comedians through, but mm. yeah, then there's a whole bunch of other people sort of cut into it. And, yeah. And is it, yeah, yeah there's, is there anyone that uh, when I, uh, that I would know? Oh, look, there's probably names that you might recognize just of the, oh, I've heard is of Kirsten Schaal in it. Kirsten Schaal is not in it. Um, <laughs> But, uh, like, Rachel Feinstein... Well, she wasn't in the first one. Come on, I mean, yeah, give her time. She might show up. No, well, see, no one's really of that sort of caliber right. of, like, well-known performer. Okay. It's people like, say, Rachel Feinstein, for example, who's a name that if you regularly went to the cellar, you'd probably know her. Yeah, sure. I think she's been around for a few years. And, like, there's those people who haven't really quite sort of had that cross-cultural sort of cut through with the mainstream. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But anyway, 
worth a look. It's called This Week at the Comedy Cellar, and it's here on Australia on Foxtel's Comedy Channel and Comedy Central in the US. Did uh, you get any money off Foxtel this week, Dan? I'm just curious. Uh, no, Lamps of God was actually discussed in last week's podcast, Chris. <laughs> all right, sorry about that. I just it, it all blurs into one for me the weeks these days. You, you um, suggest this like we just recorded two podcasts <laughs> back to back. Uh, no, no, I just kid. I kid, I kid. Um, uh, yeah, great. Also, uh, I probably just maybe just put it out there. Really interesting news about the IQ4 announced at Foxtel during the week. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, well, the NBM was out for half the week in my house, so uh, Foxtel would be quite welcome. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, thanks. Anyway, Chris Yates, this brings us to the end of another sterling edition of the Always Be Watching podcast. I like this one. It was nice and short. Short fire, rapid fire. Felt yeah. really... Uh, pew, 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 pew. Felt good. I'm making those guns. Um well, oh, sorry, you did the intro, so you should do the outro as oh, well. Should I? Okay, so if you want to learn more about uh, Dan and I, you can check out the website alwaysbewatching.com. It's more of a portal to all the other various channels in which the Always Be Watching uh, information is disseminated, such as the uh, daily newsletter that Dan slaves away uh, every night, uh, crafting out of the news about all the things that are happening on the television. You know what? It comes out in the morning, Chris, and it's actually fresh from my computer because I put it together in the morning You as make well. it in the morning? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. What time do you get, I know you are an early riser, aren't you? That's right. You get up like 4 a.m. or something? Yeah, 3.30? Like something like that? 5 a.m. Um, alwaysbewatching.com. We've got an excellent uh, and active Facebook community uh, at Always Be Watching, which I'm sure... You, can you get to that from the website? Uh, maybe. I don't have to because it's just constantly in my damn feed. Uh, <laughs> and then you can uh, get the newsletters. They're very good. There's one on the weekend tell you what to watch. Over, uh, there's one on Friday to tell you what to watch on the weekend. That's Correct. my favorite. Yeah. Uh, and uh, is that enough? Yeah, that's enough. Excellent. Yeah. All right. And if you want to find out more about Chris and myself, <laughs> which I think is how you sold this originally, <laughs> I will be doing a two-man show. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not too. Yeah, yeah. couple mm. of songs. Yeah, few dance numbers. <laughs> few dance numbers. The, the, with those hats. Yeah, the candy stripes. The candy stripes. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be great. Why, well, Chris? I say, I say, I say. <laughs> uh, have we got a venue yet, or is this like? Uh, it'll just be out in front of uh, Broadway <laughs> on <laughs> just, just do it on George on, Street. Just doing it on Sydney's Broadway. Uh, thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure to join you on this podcast once again. It's pleasure's all mine. I say, I say, I say. <laughs> Why am I foghorn Leghorn? I don't know.